Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Iruk the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Machan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. This week on the Indo Daily. I actually don't believe right that priest said I have any harm. He just like thought I knew. But that's how I found out Miriam Martina was dead. How likely is it that Trump will be found guilty of paying hush money to former adult film star Stormy Daniels? We're talking about involvement in serious drugs activity on both sides of the border and as well as that, the procurement of weapons. Find and follow us at all the usual spots and over on the Irish Independent website. O'Driscoll... Morgan, extra man, it's Fitzgerald, oh Fitzgerald is coming back inside! Leicester have another! Darcy and Driscoll oh. through the legs, Rob Carney, out to Fitzgerald again, step and score! Well, the 2022 Six Nations is certainly up and running now, and we have a mouth-watering game coming later this week. France versus Ireland at the Stade de France could very well decide ultimately where the title goes this year. But, Luke, it really is an exciting way to begin the championship. Obviously, Ireland looked so good against Wales, getting the bonus point win. France had a pretty straightforward victory over Italy, who, to be fair, probably tested them a little bit more than than maybe we had anticipated, but it sets it up brilliantly uh, this weekend. Yeah, it does. You never want to get it at the start of the competition just because, you know, they're, they usually have a light squad. You know, um, the end of the competition, generally, they're just kind of battle weary. Um, and you can kind of maybe put a few points on them when you're a bit more down the road in your attack. So I wondered that about France watching it, thinking mm, that might be, yes, I think everyone will think it's a good one for them to just to tee up and get the win. Um, but uh, they didn't put a massive amount of points on them, did they really, compared to what I think that, you know, both squads are humming. Um, like it will be maybe the, towards the middle of the end of the competition. Um, I think France put more points on them. So um, good and bad with that. There was lots of guys who were undercooked in the French team who maybe would have liked the game, maybe a little you know, tee-up game against Italy. Probably a nice one for them, but still interesting to see if that points differential comes against them at some stage. Um, but look, they're a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous team. Uh, I think it's the t- most difficult fixture we have this year going on the first weekend of action and just the squads in general. Uh, we saw that from England. They're still struggling for a way to play. And Eddie Jones clearly doesn't trust um, um, Marcus Smith at, at, at 10, who was, I thought, quite good, actually. Um, so, yeah, no, it's it, it's a big test for Ireland. And look, I think we're all very excited. I know there was some patchy stuff at times from Ireland, but generally speaking, they stuck to that game plan that we saw in November. So, look, it's it's building really really nicely for what is a massive massive game this weekend and both teams i think are coming in with good form even though as i said some of the france guys are probably a little bit more undercooked um you know lots of covid outbreaks and things like that are impacting them so uh we wait and see um you know can ireland deal with that physicality that french defense under sean edwards uh i continue to trust in that game plan um i think they might have to be a bit more pragmatic this weekend because i think the challenge is bigger um but they have the personnel to do that 
Um, you know, we've got a general, like a, you know, that, that general at 10 is still running the show and still looks brilliant. And at the top of his game, we need him for 80 minutes, I think, and, uh, against France. So um, let's see if he can withstand. Like, they'll no doubt be running people down his channel all day. Um, if he stays on for the 80 minutes, I think we have a great chance, actually. Yeah, he's got some rough treatment in the south of France over the years. <laughs> At least he got well. Jakob Piper last weekend. <laughs> yeah, we had, uh, had some big moments over there, the, the drop goal, uh, chief among them. We're going to be joined by Benjamin Kayser in the second half of the show, former France hooker, who I'm sure a lot of you have seen on BT Sport and other channels over the last while. So we're going to get the view from France from him. We're going to have Keen Tracy on in just a minute to look back at the weekend, how Ireland played, what to look out for maybe in the team announcement later in the week. But, but just to go back to England-Scotland, Luke, briefly, you know, you mentioned it there. Very dramatic game on the opening weekend. Obviously, the, the penalty try at the end was a huge talking point, a bit of probably a moment of madness, I think, if, if Luke mm. and Dickie could have it back. But you, you mentioned England and, you know, maybe their their identity at the moment and their struggles in that department. Marcus Smith getting his first Six Nations start. When he left the pitch, they were seven points up. So you, you can't really maybe fault him for, for the defeat. Oh, I don't like, think what, so. what, yeah, what did you make of it? Yeah, it was they were they had, they had a lot of possession and they kind of you felt like they were on top in the game, but they just weren't clinical at all. I thought their kicking was terrible, and they kicked a lot. Um, you know, even Marcus Smith had won. Like it was a cross field kick that normally he'd be all over. Like there was a you know a few things like that. You're kind of saying they looked really sloppy, and maybe they do get better as the tournament progresses. The challenge for them now is whether they trust the personnel that they have in. Um, you know, because I think they suit a more expansive game plan, but I just don't know if that suits England yet. And I don't know if Eddie Jones and his staff are comfortable with that more expansive game plan. So, look, they're a bit of an unknown quantity, which is kind of unusual for them. Scotland looked up, up for it, and you have to give them credit, and they finished the try as well. Um, I mean, the, the, the pass from Hogg off the set play to expose, I think it was a Toje kind of came up out of the line um, and didn't catch a man and ball. And when he got the ball away, it was difficult for the outside defenders. Um, and it was a superb finish. Um so there was some lovely play from Scotland and they'll be really, really pleased two in a row against England. I mean, I think the one thing you'd say about Scotland is, can you know, do they have that consistency? I don't know. I think they always let you down. I don't know about you. You're actually, well, you're, they have a, you're a big they Scotland, won- Scotland skeptic, aren't you? Uh, big time. Yeah. They haven't won their opening two games since 1996. So, you know, that's 20, 26 <laughs> years ago. So like, it would be a big We're ready for, for just this eventuality, just to dampen the uh, any excitement I had about Scotland. Um, yeah, but like, what would you like to be right? You know, as you say, they've gotten two wins in a row over England. I think they've won three of the last five, and there was a draw on there as well. So their record has been very good against England over the last couple of years. But at the same time, I just feel like that Cowan Dicky moment of madness. I'm like, look, I feel bad for the guy. He, had, you know, he had that social media apology. You know, he obviously feels terrible. But that was a you know the rules. I, I was, I was on. Um, Ireland AM this morning. I was just giving Tommy Bow stick as well for it. Do you remember he did it against New Zealand? You might remember this. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, he panned it out <laughs> over. Yeah. I actually was slagging him about that this morning at six or whatever it was, seven o'clock in the morning. Um, yeah, look, tough one for him to take. And then you got you got the yellow card as well. Like, particularly when he had the ball pretty much in his hands. Like I I, I hmm. did feel I felt a little bit I I felt for him. Oh, but he he, he spiked it to the ground though, like you know, it was I thought it was a stone wall penalty. Oh no, no, sorry, it was no, no, yeah. no. But the but the but the rule. He could have tried to field it. I, I I thought that I wasn't as sure on the penalty try though. No. Yeah, but I, the, the I rule is that you have like you know, if he. But the rule is that like you know you have to take the player out of it then, and if if Karen Dickey isn't there, having committed the foul, Darcy Graham catches the ball and walks in untouched. There was no one else around. But that is the ruling, is it? I wasn't that sure that. Rule, I, yeah. I was thinking like really, he did get his ball, his hands to the ball first. Um, yeah. and I was kind of thinking that yes, it was an illegal act, 
I just thought it was a moment. It was crazy, like, because even if he had broken it up, uh, he was taken out. It's Look, it's a hooker out in the wide channels. Like, people, like, you don't understand the pressure out there. When that, you've got, like, three or four seconds when that ball is in the air. A lot of time to think a winger bearing down on you, it's an uncomfortable spot to be in. So, uh, look, I did feel for him. It was a bad way for England to lose. And I still think as well that, that scrum at the end, Ooh, I'm, I wasn't 100% sure on that one. I think that looked like the ref kind of bo- bottled that one in Murrayfield. But um, look, it is what it is at this stage. England have got to come back fighting. Uh, I think they will. Um, they're getting an awful lot of stick for it. I think they still are a good team. But as I said, they're probably still discovering a few things about themselves, about how they want to play. That's probably never a good place to be when you're trying to win a championship. Um, but they have the players to turn it around and we wait and see on that one. Scotland, oh, I'm still not convinced. <laughs> I'm still yeah, not convinced. I can't, I can't wait for the Wales game there. this weekend, you know, because already like, I was reading Ian McGeekin over the weekend. He was really saying, this is our year. This is our chance to win the championship. And I just, I feel like it was Wales in round two last year as well. It was the same set of fixtures where they had their great win over England and they didn't back it up. So this, that's why this is such a key game for them and their development. And Wales, after a terrible performance against Ireland, like they'll be, they'll be buzzing for this one as well. They'll be tricky to to, to win against this weekend. So, um, this is a or that probably is a perfect litmus test to see where the Scotland team is at. Um, yeah. you know, and it could build nicely for that last weekend if they are coming in. If, if Ireland win this weekend, and um, now I know we've got to go to Twickenham, but still, um, you'd expect even if we don't win in Twickenham or if, or if we win either in Paris or in in London, that, um. Or sorry, if we lose, it'll still be tight in one of them. So that could be a real, if they go all the way through the competition playing great, like come to the Aviva Stadium, you'd probably, like that could be, a, a, you don't think, you don't rate them? There's zero chance Ireland are losing Scotland in the last, there is zero chance Ireland losing <laughs> Scotland in that last. I'm just trying to make, I don't care oh. if Scotland over Grand Slam, there is no chance Ireland are losing that game. Zero. <laughs> I'm just going to stop absolutely. you right there. <laughs> absolutely. Let me just stop you right you there. You made the point about Ian McGeekin. Um, so that's why I was covering that. Um, however distant the probability it might be. <laughs> yeah. And two interesting things with England. They've now lost their first game three years in a row, which is a pretty crazy statistic, given that you associate them under Eddie Jones with being you know, pretty consistent in the championship and usually competing, which they have them. But three opening round defeats is not a good statistic. And second, Manu Tualagi made his injury comeback over the weekend off the bench for sale. I wonder how long it'll be before Eddie Jones sends out the SOS to get him. Doesn't yeah. he? I think he yeah. completely changes the team. Um, he'd probably do that to every team, in fairness. He's pretty good. Yeah. Um, and it kind of mirrors how like Marcus Smith plays at Harlequins with a big Andre Esterhaze and Springbok at, at inside centre as well. It would maybe help with him you know, share that workload as well. But yeah, as you say, it's set up to be a very interesting game between Scotland and Wales. But now we'll turn our attention to Ireland. We're delighted to have Keen Tracy with us once again. Keen, how are you? All good, lads. How are you? Yeah, very good, thanks. Uh, very interesting weekend of Six Nations action, obviously, from an Irish perspective, a very successful one as well. 29 points to seven winners over Wales, a bonus point victory to start the campaign. What impressed you most, Keen, about how Ireland went about their business on Saturday? Uh, I think just because purely from the fact that they continued where they left off in November in terms of the, the style of play. Like, I mean, if ever there was any doubt, I don't think there is now that, that this is the way that Ireland are looking to, to move forward. Um it was funny, I was watching the, the game back um, yesterday on Sunday and I don't think it came across uh, on TV how bad the conditions actually were. I know you could kind of see it for Johnny Sexton's kicking and stuff, but it was really greasy, like really slippery. So I thought the fact that they stuck to their guns and they still played that high tempo um, expansive game plan was, was really encouraging. Like all four tries came from the backs. I mean, when I was rocking up to 
the Aviva on Saturday, I was full sure that, you know, it was funny. One of my mates texted me going, oh, what do you reckon about fantasy rugby this weekend? Like, what player should I play? I was thinking, oh, not sure if the backs will get much of a look and it could be one for the forwards. Like, but it's pretty wrong. So, um, just hugely encouraged by, yeah, the, the fact that they're sticking to this. I thought it's... It's amazing that we're now talking about an Irish team um, and how physical and aggressive they are, considering where we were in 2019 when it was basically the total opposite. I think the the, the turnaround in that regard has been remarkable, really. Um, like yeah, we've spoken so much about the front row and how you know that just makes Ireland far more dynamic, but their work around the breakdown is just incredible. Like I wrote a piece last weekend, kind of looking at the impact that Paul O'Connell had made and got lost on a rabbit hole of stats and things like that. But just looking at how, how fast basically Ireland's rock ball is since, since he's come in and how much an improvement there's been in that regard. And I think that's one thing that maybe gets overlooked uh, sometimes when you, when you see this expansive style of play, it's uh, how is that actually happening? So much of it is coming from the work that the likes of, uh, James Ryan, Caelan Doris, Josh van der Fleer are doing around the breakdown. Just like w- Wales could not live with their power um, in that regard at all. So hugely pleased to see that, but sort of like, you know, make no mistake about it, that the, the test lying ahead this weekend in Paris is going to be much different. But I think it's coming at a very good time for this Ireland team, you know, to go on the road somewhere like France and, and really see where, where they stand in the grand scheme of things. Hmm. Yeah, Luke, what, what stood out for you? I think the ball handling has been really pleasing. Um, I was there, yeah, it was a little bit greasy. Um, and as Keen said, like the conditions were, they were difficult. Like I, I spent, you know, quite a bit of time before the game <laughs> in a lot of corporate boxes saying bet Wales in the spread. 14 seems a lot in these conditions. And the first couple of games in the championship are always a little bit messy. Just it's harder to get your attack in order um versus your defense it's just you know more nuanced and combinations and different things like that not much of that in defense really you know it's um easier to get that in order first so i always think it's scrappier at the start and it probably was maybe for the first 30 40 you know i think ireland were a little bit messy at times um but god they stuck with it and i thought they finished off the tries really well um Looked really clinical. Now, I didn't think Wales defended great. They were very passive, uh, I thought, for, for Wales. And they made some bad errors. Like, even Josh Adams giving Conway the outside. Like, that, I thought that was a real soft try to let in, even though it was an unbelievable finish. Um, but Ireland's handling to get to those positions. And again, the back three guys were very, very important for Ireland in that. Like, getting the ball out there... Um, consistently and even your blindside winger was involved like like Mac Hansen yeah he got a lot of plaudits but he actually did some really great work I like I love seeing everyone's going on everyone goes on about these kind of offloads and things like that passing before contact's way more effective and it's way harder to do at this level and if you saw like some of the passing from the guys to get the ball into space um it makes Ireland really formidable um, because it means that you can't switch off anywhere on the pitch because they can get the ball there. Um, and they have a good kicking game as well. Um, you know, Johnny Johnny's kicking game is pretty varied. Um, so I think they're a really dangerous proposition with the ball now, which I didn't really think was the case prior to um, November. I thought I was kind of saying, where is this team going in, in attack? I really don't know. And I think the key part, last point they'll make on this is 
the forwards interplay like you hear me go on well i think you've heard me go on about this for five or six years i just think it's so so important and ireland have just tapped into that for whatever whatever's been said um or whatever the, the the change of mindset has been they've decided to play more in there and they've i think they're playing into a real strength for this team um and i think it just really opens up the pitch for them and it's not just What's really telling about it is it's not just backs. It's not just that ball at the back to Johnny Sexton. Yes, that's effective. But think of how many times the last four games we've watched Ireland where a forward has put another forward into a hole. You know what I mean? Like that's a real skill to be able to make that decision close to the line. Um, and it makes them really hard to defend against in the tight exchanges. Um, so, yeah, that's what's impressed me most. And I think they can keep playing this way. if they if The, the, the challenge for them now is believing against a defense that's going to be way stingier and way more aggressive um, against a, a foe that has proved pretty tricky to get over in Sean Edwards. So um, really excited about this weekend. Um, I think a few of their guys might be a little bit undercooked and haven't played much rugby, so it might be a good time to get them. So hopefully I'm right. We'll wait and see. Yeah, just a point on the handling of the forwards. Like, If you look back to the start of the tournament last year where there were a lot of question marks about how the direction Ireland were going in, the personnel is quite different. You know, Caelan Doris, Jack Conan, Tyke Furlong, Ronan Keller, none of those guys started the opening defeat to Wales, which was, you know, an okay performance, but nowhere near the levels we're seeing now. But those four guys can all really ball play, as Luke mentioned there, and they make a huge difference. Keen, you know, Luke touched on Matt Hansen there. Just, I know you were writing about him in today's paper too. You know, what a dream debut. You know, we discussed last week, it was a surprising selection. But from the from the off, you know, when he got that ricochet into his hands and made that burst down the left touchline, it was a lovely way for to get him into the game, kind of settle him down. Very fortuitous, but he, he made the most of it. What did you make of his performance throughout the day? Yeah, I was seriously impressed. Um, it was an ideal start for him. Like you said, you know, he made huge ground up, up the left. But um, yeah, look, look. He, I think it says so much about Ireland's attacking system, and Lou touched on it there. Um, how comfortable guys are within it when you can bring a rookie in uh, from the cold who's only had like a handful of training sessions. I know he was involved back in November as well for for a week or whatever it was, but to bring a guy in. And for him to have such a key role in the attack, I just thought spoke volumes for the for the improvements in, in Ireland's attack under Mike Catter. I think they deserve huge credit for that because I was certainly one that was very critical of it uh, in 2020. Um, you know what? I thought Johnny Sexton really, really buzzed off Mac Hansen and really linked well with him. And I think that's another guy into this backline now who's going to take a lot of pressure, I think, off Sexton. Uh, I thought it was telling that so many of Ireland's um, strike moves, particularly off lineouts, involved getting Hansen onto the ball. Um, you look at Luke is right. Like his, his passing before contact is superb. Um, you can see that he's played out half. And I think it was interesting. I heard Andy Farrell, or sorry, Andy Friend a couple of weeks ago was saying, um, that he is going to play Mac Hansen at out half at some stage that, you know, he's played there before. I think fullback is actually his preferred position. So for want of a better term, he's a baller. Like, you know, he wants to get on the ball. I think he had big shoes to fill in terms of coming into, you know, and filling in for James Lowe, who had a really, really outstanding November, a different type of player, but similar as well. Obviously he doesn't have the, the, the left boot or, or the power that Lowe would have, but God, he was so effective. And I think, He's a player that I think is going to get the crowd off their feet. I think we saw that again on Saturday. He's been doing that at the sports ground all season. He's like, they, they love him down in Galway. And I think 
I think people like Ireland supporters are going to really like him as well. I thought there was a lovely moment um, that wasn't caught on TV when he was named man of the match and he kind of, the TV cameras picked up his little clap to the crowd and it, it, it panned off then because I think there was a line out or something happening, but then he kind of gave this big massive fist bump to the crowd and they kind of reacted as well. And it was just a really nice moment. And it was one of those moments that we wouldn't have had this time last year because there was no crowds at Six Nations games. And that was another, I thought, hugely just brilliant thing about last Saturday was to, and Luke, you, you probably agree. I don't know if you were there, Will, but how great it was to have a full crowd at a Six Nations game in Dublin. It was just class. Like, I know we had it in November, but there's just something different or something special about walking down Lansdowne Road on a Six Nations day when when there's just like a great buzz in the air. So um, it was great. Yeah, I think in terms of starting points for Matt Hansen, he has so much to build on. I think, you know, you wouldn't, you'd expect him still to be in the team uh, this weekend going to Paris because he didn't do anything um, to justify being dropped. You know what? I thought his defence was pretty good as well, but like it goes without saying that it's a, it's a much bigger challenge like he, that he would face going to Paris, just like Ireland will in general. But um, it goes back to a point that we've mentioned a couple of times on this pod. I think we were talking about it, Will, last week when we did the, the podcast after the team announcement. Andy Farrell doesn't want his wingers to be tidy and James Lowe fits that perfectly and so does Mac Hansen. So look, it was a massive call, but fully, fully justified. And I'm really excited to see now what he can do in an early jersey. Yeah, I agreed with you on the fa- on the fans, Keen, just until the Mexican wave started. Yeah. And then I was yeah. like, I wish it was behind closed doors again. Yes. This is, this is, this is just pissing me off too much. Uh, but Luke, <laughs> yeah, what was your take on, on Backhatch's performance? You know, obviously Keen touched on a lot of it there. Um, you know, we were wondering after the team selection, you know, what team selection might he go with Paris? And a lot of it would be predicated on how they went against Wales. But when he played so well, like, would you presume he would be starting again this weekend? I think so. Yeah, I think he has to start him. Um I'd say, um, yeah, like I was, I, he didn't have to do the thing, the one thing that I was really worried about uh, <laughs> in his game uh, and defend kind of on his own in a big space um, a couple of times against good opposition. Um, I think he looked okay. He looked he, like he looked fine that part of the game, but I didn't think Wales really threatened him or challenged him. And I think like France certainly will do that. They um, did try to those. The only thing you'd say, Luke, because like they put Lewis Reesamet over on his wing, which I I, I think I heard in commentary was kind of being in the game. Keen, like they 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 not like there was never a period where they were concerted. Like, like they were on the front front on a concerted basis. Like Ireland were all day, um, you know. And it's different at international level. Um, you you like you, whoever you're coming up against, whether it's you know could be Pinot, could be whoever it is. You know, next week. Like that's a that's a pretty difficult challenge, and um, look, I hope I'm wrong about that. Like it may just be like he he might really benefit from from playing outside the likes. Like Gary Ringrose is great to defend outside, um, you know, and that might be different to what he's you know defending outside in Connacht, and all of a sudden his level goes up, um, and that's probably what we're, what I'm hoping for. Um, now you can only defend what was in front of him, and he did a good job on the weekend. But again, I didn't think Wales really tested on. I thought Wales were actually terrible. If I'm being honest, I thought they didn't show up. Um, but in terms of Mac Hansen, the challenge for him now is going to be, can he do that against a real stingy defense in Paris? I think he can. I don't think he knows another way to play, actually, um, which is what I really like about him. Um, a bit like James Lowe. I don't think James Lowe really, like, I think he's tightened up his game, James Lowe. But he's still, if you put the shackles on these guys too much, they lose. A bit like Zebo, you kind of lose something um, and you lose that like the reason you selected them in the first place but you still need to have that level of tightness on the defensive side 
you need to, you need to focus on that. Like you, you're when you're on the when you're in the outside channels on the wing, particularly, you're marking the most dangerous people on the pitch. So if you make mistakes out there, they're really amplified. Um, so he needs to marry that to be a great international rugby player. Um, but from the attacking side, uh, what a, what a start! And I hope that that's what happens next week. They should like I think Ireland do need to continue to play that way. Um, like I think France are better equipped. Uh, to deal with a fast game plan that maybe they have been in previous years. They're not going to be playing as much rugby. They're kind of in camp for longer together, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but Ireland, if they play a fast game, they can still move that big French pack around. And I think they they will, they can get some gains out, out in Paris. That probably, you know, previously, if you played an open, play, like open game against uh, France, you were worried. You were thinking, geez, this really does not suit us. So, um yeah, that's. I'm hoping Mac Hansen has a big impact next week as well. And it was great to see him get off to a flyer. You always want that for someone on their first cap, really, don't you? Just what just on just on his defense, though, I, I wonder, like, have I been maybe guilty of as well? Like, he obviously got done by Dan Sheehan on the outside, like, who's like a poor, poor moment. But I wonder, in general, like, is his defense like, how, are we too focused on that one moment? Um, like, I thought, it, I thought he did quite well every time Louis Rees-Amet was was up against him. And I agree with what you were saying, Luke, that Wales weren't on the front foot. But there was one particular time in the the first half where he, he made a really, it was the second half actually, he made a really, really good tackle out wide on him. So I think he's a smart player. I think you know Wales didn't have. The front football to to properly go after him, and I think you're right. If he's up against someone like Damian Penno that this weekend, I think that'll be a different test. But I just I just wonder if we've kind of been sidetracked by, and I include myself in this by that Dan Sheehan Mac Hansen moment, and have we been a bit harsh on him? But maybe you've seen more in his defensive side. It's just where you miss him. It's where mm. you miss. It was on his inside. He was in in a bad position. Um, it was against a hooker. If you're an international winger, no matter how a freakishly good, he is, good hooker, it must be said. To not even lay a, no, but you got to lay a glove. Got to lay a glove. And where you miss is important. So there are the basics of the game. You you can miss him to the outside, can't miss him to the inside. So that 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 would be my view on that one. And look, you make these mistakes, like, and you learn from them. As you said, he is a smart rugby player. We can see that from his attack. So there's no reason why he shouldn't be able to apply that to his defense because I don't think it's a commitment thing. Um, which is which, which would worry about someone. Those people never survive long. Well, they do sometimes, but it depends where they're playing. Uh, on the wing is not one of those places, I don't think. Um, so, yeah, I, I would agree. I think he's definitely capable of that being a strength in his game. And he's, a, you know, being that good in attack, he should be able to read the game really well as well. He should be in the right positions. He should be able to feed off the likes of Gary Ringrose or whoever's at 13 and um, should make that a strength in his game. But international rugby can be pretty tough so we wait and see like i hope i'm wrong on that um but you know the you have to look at you look at those things and you say well there were so many things wrong with that one situation you know maybe it's a once off but i thought there was a few more as well to be honest with you <laughs> and not just that one that one's glaring mm. yeah keen what did you make of the impact of the bench it was you know 29 nil after around an hour maybe slightly after that did you think that the bench added much do you think that the guys who came on gave Andy Farrell much to think about you know in terms of the selection for Paris no and I think that was the big I think the big negative from from the the weekend if we're being honest um I didn't think the bench offered much at all actually really um and I think that is an issue um I, I still think there's a couple of positions where where Ireland are a bit light if if one or two guys are injured I think 
tight head is definitely a, a concern. Um, backup tight head, obviously, um, not the out half playing in the tight head's body, the starting tight head body. Um, <laughs> He's pretty good, <laughs> yeah, pretty good, yeah. Um, and I think even like someone like a Ryan Baird, I still think is trying to find his feet at international level. That's why I think Ian, Ian Henderson coming back into the mix is is really important. So yeah, like I think that is that that was a disappointment. Will um, even after halftime, like Ireland were never in any danger of losing that game, but they left points behind them, and you know this championship could be really tight, and it, you never know it could come down to points difference. So I, I I just felt like Ireland left a couple of scores behind them. They didn't score after. Gary Ringrose was try, I think, about the it was on 59 minutes, I think it was. Um, and Wales, like I know it's a weird kind of way to look at it, but Wales won the last quarter 7-0. I know it was a freakish try, but they're the kind of things I think that you know the coaching staff will be will be driving home this weekend or this week in training because you want to see you want to see more from the bench. You need to see, you need to see more from your bench. Um, and even you think back to that period after halftime and Josh Adams' yellow card, like you know brainless brainless stuff like i mean like as i said the game wasn't in danger but wales could have got their first three points like in the on the board if dan bigger had taken the the kick um it said ireland go a man up and go down the other end of the pitch and end up scoring another try convert to try so um yeah like there was a few there was a few issues like wales played into their hands i thought but um Going to somewhere like Paris, I think you need, is a bit of a cliche, but you need all 23 players delivering. Um, and I don't think they got that last weekend, but Robbie Henshaw and Ian Henderson coming back into the mix this weekend adds very welcome selection headaches. And it'd be very interesting to see if uh, if Andy Farrell puts them back into the team. I'm writing about that at the moment. It's a big call. It's a, it's a mad kind of situation to be in when you think that, like let's call a spade a spade. Two of Ireland's best players, like you know Lions last year, might not start in one of the biggest games of the season, going to one of the toughest places. So it just shows what a good position they're in. But I definitely think they're going to be needed in the twenty three this weekend. Yeah, look in terms of changes for Paris. Like, would you go with the same starting team? And as Keane said, maybe bring Henshaw in on the bench and bring Henderson on the bench for that impact. Or is there any starting players you would take out to maybe bring in one of these guys? Um, God, it is tricky, isn't it? Like, uh, it's the, the the Henshaw one. I think is a trickier one for me to get my head around, just because I just don't know who gives you more options on the bench. You do probably need a few options there, and you'll need to have your you need to have five forwards in Paris at a minimum. You know, that's that's just they have a big heavy pack. You're going to need that. Um, and it's so important as well. Um, but like, how do you leave? No, how do you leave Henshaw? <laughs> I don't know. It would be pretty uncomfortable leaving the best player in the country out. Um, you know, and, and I think he's still, he, he's, he's a big game player. He's been good over there for us before as well. Um, yeah, I don't know. I thought Bundy was really good on the weekend too. Like, and as was Gary. Um, so yeah, he's in a tough situation. now. Where I don't, I don't, that's the real selection. I think Henderson, I think probably has to come in. Um, but it's just whether he goes onto the bench or whether he goes to goes into the starting lineup. Like I think, given the weight that France have in the row, I think he'd be given serious consideration as to whether he should bring him in to start. But like I don't know, I thought Ryan was brilliant on the weekend, and like how do you say that to Burn? Like I just like I don't know what like what how do you justify that selection to Burn? I just don't know. Like and I feel like he's the one who's gonna he, he'll be the one who drops out because he's probably not as specialist as the other two. Um. 
but God, I don't know. I'd hate to be having that conversation. Like, <laughs> what stats are you bringing into to that meeting with Byrne to say, I'm sorry, I'm not selecting you on this basis because uh, I don't think you have anything to support your case. The only, the only, the only reason one is probably they put them both on the scales and they say we want the heavier, <laughs> hey, that's they want the heavier man. Because that, yeah. that, that's I really what, right. what, that's really what it's going to come down to. And yeah, it would be incredibly harsh because like you, you started this conversation, Luke, about talking about the interplay between forwards and you know you, you talk about Tyg Furlong, he does it so good, but so does Tyg Byrne. Like yeah. he, he links, he links the play so unbelievably well. So. And we got to remember as well, like it's been Ian Henderson hasn't played in, I think it's like something like seven weeks. Like it's a long time without a game to throw him back in there. So mm. like I can understand the the arguments for and against, but like I wouldn't want to be the one, like you said, going in telling Ty Burnham. Like I think Bundyaki has been so good for Ireland over the last few games that he's played. Like every time he plays with Gary Ringrose, like they look like a really good combination. And I think crucially as well we're starting to see more of Bundy's distribution game now for Ireland which Mm. wasn't always the case I think Robbie Henshaw actually fell into this trap as well in the previous era where like what they wanted from your 12 was just truck it up the middle like get us over the game line and then we'll play from there whereas now you actually have a realistic option like some of Bundy's passing at the weekend was really really nice and and Henshaw I think is thriving when he's been playing as well as the 12 and I agree like I don't think many people would disagree that Robbie Henshaw was the best Irish player last year. Like when you take everything into consideration, like how good he was on the Lions tour as well. So that's what I mean. It, like how are Ireland at a situation where you're talking about two of their best players might have to make do with a place on the bench going to going to Paris for the biggest games. But what does sorry does does putting Robbie on the bench like does that create more problems for you? Like that's my one issue. The only issue, the only thing I can think of is that if you have Carberry on the bench, mm. he can go to 15. Yeah. Um, and maybe he opens up that, that, that position for you. But like, I don't know, it really creates a problem for you. If Johnny goes down, like you're very much stuck. If another back three goes, like if a back three guy goes down, I mean, Gary Ringrose can probably do a job for you there, but I don't think he'd be really comfortable there himself. Maybe he would, but it's a tricky one, isn't it? Like, I don't, I like, you, yes. you nearly always want to have a specialist back three on your bench. But we, we spoke about this, Will, um, at the team announcement pod that we had last week. Like putting James Hume as a 23rd man was a really strange call for the exact reasons that you're saying, Luke. Yeah. And it, it nearly backfired because Andrew Conway, it, as it turned out, like, and this is actually puts his performance into context even more, was sick all day um, on Saturday. And even someone said they saw him coming off the pitch, puking his ring at the side of the pitch. So uh, fair play to him for getting through what he did. But like the Michael Jordan flu game. <laughs> but, but that meant having to push because I thought the same thing when I saw him coming off I thought you'd see Joey Carberry going to 15 and you'd have Hugo Keenan on the wing but they decided to put Gary Ringrose out in the wing and James Hume into the centre now against Wales you got away with that because they, they were just nowhere near Ireland but I agree with you I think going to Paris it does kind of put you in a tricky position but it goes back to sort of my my broader point, like whatever about not having Robbie Hench on the team, how can you not have him in your twenty three? Yeah. And I said, and he can probably play, he can probably play fullback for you if you're at a push. Like I can't he, he I think he can. You could move Conway to fullback. Mm. You know, you could move Hanson there to fullback. So yeah, like maybe it's not as big an issue as I'm making it out as. It's just you do like having people who are playing there. You know, regularish in those slots. But yeah, yeah it's I, a, it's a tricky one. I think he definitely goes on the bench because you just have to have him there. Um. But um, yeah, it's it's an interesting little thing now. Like where all these guys fit in, we look like we're we look like we've got great problems. Um, bar maybe one or one or two of those positions, but like look, two tight heads 
of the same ilk is going to be pretty tricky, isn't it? The problem is our best, our second best tight end is actually playing loose head. Um, <laughs> I mean, so that's and he and he's probably one of our best players in the pitch too. Um, but I don't ever remember us going over to Paris um, with a front row where I actually think we have an edge. You know, it's, they always have a Rolls Royce of a front row. Like I think our front row is unbelievable. I think they it's the still do, though. To be fair, their front row is pretty class. Fast, but I think we're better. Yeah, I do think we're better. It's going to be some matchup. Like I'm not a oh. front row nerd, but like I genuinely cannot wait to see that. Like Marshan and Cyril Boy, like are like you, you know, it's it's pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> pretty pretty good. Like, but they'll have the advantage with the guys behind them. So it'll be interesting to see how our guys cope with that. Like that could take something out of our play. You know that kind of playmaking ability that kind of mm. distinguishes us, and you kind of say mm, that might set us apart. A point of difference. Um, that might be trickier if you're fucking pushing a little bit harder, you're in a few more malls with guys who are maybe 10, 15 kilos heavier. That does take it out of you, you know? You can be sure as well that that's exactly what France's game plan is going to be this weekend, that they want to take a tired in the front and take away that strength, like tire, tire them out. Because I, I believe you, I think even reading some of the French stuff today, there's talk that um, they might put Bernard Leroux into the second row and put Cameron Walkie back to the back row. So you'd have you'd have Leroux and Paul Willemse who has come on massively really in the last couple of seasons in the in the second or two beefy South Africans, you know. So if they do go that way, I think you'll know exactly what France are trying to do because like just like Ireland, if they can get the the, the front foot uh, up front, like they just have the firepower to, to hurt them. And I thought the the Italy game for them, I thought on Sunday was just an ideal game for them to start because they looked so sloppy, but like they would have got so much out of you know getting rid of that kind of, you know, dirty diesel for want of a better term you know i think they'll be so much better next weekend for having gotten a few of those kind of that rustiness out because even like someone like dupont was far from his best you know i know he's had covid and injury issues and stuff so i think getting a game into them probably you know coming at the bad time for ireland because i think they'll be they'll be humming even more now yeah well the two team selections are going to be fascinating to keep an eye out for for later in the week but for now keen thanks so much for joining us cheers lads well, we're delighted to be joined this week ahead of a massive game on Saturday evening by former French hooker Benjamin Kayser. Benjamin, how are you? Very well, thank you. Great to have you on. It's a very exciting week as well. France-Ireland this Saturday night, or this Saturday evening, rather, promises to be an absolute cracker. You know, what's the expectation like in France, you know, this year? It's been a long time since they won the Six Nations. They have such a great collection of players. Is there a great deal of pressure now coming from the French public to finally deliver a trophy? So I don't know about pressure, but excitement, 1,000%. Uh, the, the, the whole country is, is, is fired up. I mean, just to give you an example, um, after the November win against New Zealand on the Monday, both the Ireland and England game were sold out. I think it's been a long time since that happened. Um, it's, it's, the, the buzz is coming back. World Cup 2023 is around the corner. It's in everybody's minds now. Um, and so the expectation is sky high. The pressure is not building yet because there's no... Uh, it's not like they have to win, but they're, they, 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 everybody's exciting them to do so. I think that will take a turn in uh, the, when the World Cup will, will actually uh, start, and that will be a different one to, to swallow and to deal with. But at the moment, it's just the pleasure that they get, those boys are giving to the country, um, the pleasure and, the, and, and how proud they make every French representative, or at least jersey owner, you know, to see them play a type of rugby that's also more fitting with the way that we, we see rugby with um, some fantastic performances, but so far, zero title. So Fabien Galtier, Rafael Ibanez set it up uh, pretty, the pretty, they were pretty clear about the mission and their targets, beat Southern Hemisphere teams on a regular basis and win titles. 
Yes, they have beaten England. Yes, they went to Dublin and, and it was a close win a couple of seasons ago. Okay, but they always tripped up when when it was the moment to pick up the the the, the actual title. So excitement, one thousand percent there. Pressure, not yet. And can I ask you, Benjamin, when you think about this French team and that excitement that you were talking about, um, what do you think has been the key factor? in turning that around and creating maybe that expectation, or maybe not the expectation of France, but definitely the expectation uh, from the other countries in the Six Nations that they are the favourites or they have the favourites tag. What, what's turned that around from maybe a France team that has been struggling for a while? Well, it's, it's, it, that's, that's, a, that's a huge question because it's basically reflecting on the last 10 years of the French team. Just on your last point about being favourites, I think that's that's a sneaky way for other teams to relieve pressure from themselves and just to chuck it on them because nobody likes more than to see the grand favourites to stumble upon, you know, a little brick and then fall uh, face flat into into mud. So um, the, the the reality, like you guys know, is that when you have three home games, it's obviously a good calendar, and when you have three home games against the two main competition basing. Uh, our analysis on the last November test, which are Ireland and, and England, the two top uh, performances with, with France, then, of course, it seems to be a good calendar. You start with Italy when you're a little bit rusty and you want to get into it. So everybody seems, everything seems to be there. I think that's why they got given the etiquette of being favourites. Yes. However, Ireland were absolutely outstanding in November, right? They're the ones who put 50 in Argentina after beating the All Blacks. That, that is, for me, the symbol of a team that has really stepped up. Uh, England were completely gone. Uh, like, I thought they were, you know, they, they were ready for the bin. And then Eddie Jones throws a, a new squad in, in November with six or seven names and unheard of. I know them now. And they beat the world champions and they beat Australia and they're, and they're back in business. So without even forgetting with how, how surprising Wales can be and how difficult always to handle Scotland are. So it's... Um, I think the reality is that everybody deep, deep down in their hearts loves a French, a, a performing French team because we do things a little bit differently because that's the beauty of the Six Nations. You want to confront with different types of rugby, different culture, different countries, different language. You know, it's, it's, it's that difference that everybody loves. Um, so a French team that's just there, not really being able to contend or to be a title contender just weakens the whole competition. Uh, and that's why everybody's delighted to see it to see it back. So the reason why France are back is a mix of finally politics um, uh, sticking together for a common goal, a new generation that is absolutely incredible, that is the the, the fruit of under twenties development uh, focus, and 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 final point is a, is a quality a staff. The quality of the staff that Figueiredo put together is unheard of. It's the first time that I can tell you that you can pretty much go, right, who is the best forwards coach in France? Let's pick him. Who is the best defense uh, coach in the world? Let's pick him. Who is the best conditioner in France? Let's pick him, right? It's the first time that it seems to be a, a combination of top talents, irrespective of who was the boss originally, but normally the French team boss would come and would bring his staff with him. Guys who would not usually give him any, make him any shadow. You know, they would not take away the potential authority of the team. That's not what Fabien Galti did. So, favorites, I think it's, it's, a, it's a clever uh, mind trick. <laughs> uh, but it's only, it's only a fair game. It's only okay, fair okay. game. Can I, I ask you just we'll see Saturday. one thing that you touched on there? It's maybe Wales. And the Welsh team always seem to do 
brilliantly when they came into camp because they were set up to win with great coaches, a great setup. Um, it seems like maybe there's a bit of a, you know, they've turned a bit of a corner from what you're saying there in France. That's what it looks like from the outside too. But yeah, just in terms of the coaching staff. And you mentioned the political thing. Is that more a case of being able to hold on to the players for longer periods during the competition? Is that what you're kind of referring to? It's, it, the list is just goes on and on and you would be mind blown. It's almost unfair. You know, when you used to beat me a couple of seasons, it was almost unfair. Very rarely, Benjamin. Your memory is You guys had incredible setup. Now, the reality is that France's power is in the clubs, right? We don't, we don't play rugby at school. We play rugby in a club. So you can, from the age of six, you can play in, in your club and that's who your, your heart belongs to. And, and so obviously the economical power of, of French rugby at the moment, because the Federation does not own the Stade de France. The Federation just has uh, an agreement with it. So the revenue that can be regenerated by Twickenham to whatever is existing in France, you divide that by 10, at least. Uh, so on top of that, when the results really aren't there, you're not feeling completely the Stade de France, you can imagine the economical impact. So no economical power. The, all the power is in the clubs, and that's very complicated. And so that reflected into the way that the French team, I don't know, I'll give you a couple of examples. The coaches of the French team would never visit the clubs. There was zero interactions between them because it was more, it was a feeling that um, I had a feeling, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm being negative for, for nothing, but I had a feeling that when the French team would perform, everybody was happy. And if they wouldn't, then the coaches of the team would say, see, I could do better. There was zero unity about it. Uh, the players would definitely go in and out with the French team and never have a camp before. You mentioned the Welsh guys that could come in two weeks before. It's a first for the last 10 years that France are able to play the entire Six Nations. And that was a long negotiation process that almost fell apart. You remember, I don't know if you remember the first Six Nations 2020, France are back in business, right? And then there's that Autumn Nations Cup that they created in October, November. France were not allowed to play more than three uh, consecutive games because of those agreements. Remember? And then they had to rotate the squad right in the middle. Okay. So that's, we're, not, we're still not there yet. But that's what I mean by politics. The coach cannot pick who he wants, how he wants, for how long he wants. That was the reality of what France used to be like because the power is within the clubs. I think the main difference is that everybody realized how globally France was hurt by the, by the, the lack of performances of the top national side, how it would impact everyone. And on top of that, there's the World Cup 2023 around the corner, which can benefit everyone. And so finally, everybody's pushing together. And Benjamin, how big a role has Bernard Laporte played behind the scenes in you know, kind of bringing in some of those from the outside looking in? It feels like even though he's not the coach of the French team, he's still probably the most powerful figure in French through all the success he's had you know, with the national team with Toulon. But then even pulling together these different groups of people to make sure that given Fabian Gazier the, the leeway, you said get that great coaching staff. Is, is he as key a man as he appears to be from the outside? I uh, most definitely. I mean, he's he's the type of guy, whether you like him or not, you throw a bone in a room and he's the one that's gonna be chewing it for sure. He's got this drive and this 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 ambition about him that nothing's undoable, nothing's unstoppable, nothing's impossible. And so when they said to him that, you know, I'm going to go for the French presidency. Oh, you never be elected. Well, you got elected twice now. Uh, I'm going to go for world rugby. And he's, 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 he's in there too with, with a lot of power. I think he's vice president of world rugby. Um, the reality, like I said to you, because the power was in the clubs, the federation then was second in command 
even if technically they're above, he decided to shift that power with a lot of um, a lot of fight, with a lot of um, and he said distortion within the ranks. It wasn't an easy fight at all, and that fight still goes on. Um, he also wanted to to put uh, Fabian Galtier straight away. Whether it was a good way of doing it or not, he got rid of Guinoves, which is the equivalent of uh, Sir Alex Ferguson, you know, uh, like a, an absolute rugby icon. And then he put Jacques Brunel, but all of a sudden Fabien Galtier was under him, saying, no, no, don't worry, he's not the main coach, he's just second in command. Everybody knows that he was already the boss. So, yes, you're right, he's extremely influential. Um, he's not the only one um, that should that is at the origin of all those cur- the current positive changes and successes. It's obviously not all down to him, but the fact that that economical power got counterbalanced with political power finally by a head of federation who took on all those challenges is definitely a huge impact. And this weekend, um, what's the feeling like amongst the French public? Are they expecting a win? Um, and, and what's the view on Ireland? Uh, it sounds like you think that uh, this Irish team is going to be pretty hard to beat. Hundred uh, percent. Um, I think everybody's is is that way. So there's no expectation to win. They know that it's like the little final of the Six Nations is now. Everybody was 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 delighted to um, to know that you weren't starting off with Ireland because that would have been a very tough one. The t- the squad, the 42 squads that got picked for by by Famigalti and his staff had 15 rotations within the last two weeks because of guys coming in and out because of COVID outbreaks in the Toulouse ranks of injuries of rotations, of this and that. Antoine Dupont played two games since the 11th of December. Played one game with his team against Racing. They lost at home. He didn't play well. And he played 58 minutes or whatever it was um, on Sunday against Italy. So these guys are really rusty. They need a lot of time to get back together. And clearly, clearly, that is clear in everybody's minds, Ireland are absolutely on top of their form. Uh, in November, they blew it all, everybody away Bow. I don't think it's a surprise to know that Ireland are technical, hugely disciplined, very good strategically with Johnny Sexton sort of handling all, all these things and making it, you know, too easy to keep on playing, even if he's 50 or something. <laughs> but on top of that, they play a lot more rugby than they used to, I think. Oh. Um, that game really showed it. A couple of sort of moments that... Um, it wasn't just, you know, the sort of three f- pods of forwards going, uh, you know, right, left, right, left, and then something funny, building those phases that were just mind-blowing in terms of intensity. Not particularly flash to look at, but so precise and so so important. When they won in France, I think, when was it, in 2014-15, that 84th minute drop goal by Johnny Sexton. That's that. That was Ireland for us, right? Never dead, but also just little phase after little phase. They will grind you and then eat you up at the right moment. Now they've got more to it. They've got a lot more strike power. They've got a lot more attacking ability. So having a look at their November tests, having a look at the game yesterday, there's no expectation to win. There's just an expectation for France to challenge what is the, who is the best team in, in Europe at the moment, which is Ireland. You're really doing a good job of talking down in France, talking up Ireland. It's very strategic, I can tell. You've been sent out this week probably to get the message out. Mate, I'm, I'm, I'm just doing my... You know that having a little bit of fear in your belly is always very good to play rugby. Mm-hmm. That's the day that you don't have a bit of fear and a bit of stress, then you, you, you shouldn't even step in it. And I think the, that's one thing that's changed in this French team. They're, and I, I can't believe I'm using this, this word, but they're a little bit more reliable. They're a little bit more consistent. Because they're very level-headed. 
I mean, the example is the captain, Antoine Dupont. Tell me one individual recognition he hasn't picked up in the last 18 months. Hmm. I mean, it's just mind. And every time I was like, please stop picking him. He's, <laughs> he, something's going to happen to him. Either he's going to lose his shits and he's, he's just going to become some sort of diva. Or I don't know, too many solicitations. He's going to get injured. Something was going to happen, right? It really scared me because he's a good lad. You're a warrior, Benjamin. You're a warrior. And he's going through it. And he's going through it. And he's, and he's thriving through that pressure. And I just think they've got the shoulders to, to handle this better now. But the reality is that you always have to be respectful of, of the opposition, especially when it's a team that uh, performed so well last November. I agree with that. I think as well, uh, what's interesting and, and um, interesting to hear your view on it, I think the selection policy has been a bit more consistent too. I, I always felt like, you know, particularly in the era when we were playing uh, against each other, that I, I always felt the French players didn't even know who was going to get picked in the weekend. Even if you played, you know, okay or didn't play badly um, in, in a mixed performance, even if there was a win, they still changed the team. I always felt like that was kind of a really it hamstrung you a little bit. It made it really hard for the team to perform, uh, you know, well, week in, week out. Uh, what's your view on that? Is that down to the coaches or is that just down to that political thing you were saying that they're able to pick the same guys? No, that, that really is down to the coaches. And I think I, th I couldn't agree more with what you said. It was, there was always this thing is, you know, you would go into a taxi you're like, oh, do you play for the French team? And everybody's like, yeah, well, this week, yeah. <laughs> you, you never knew what was going to happen on the Monday. How, how many guys get axed after a bad or a good performance or the press releases your name? We would, we would hear that we were picked by the French team on, on Twitter on a Wednesday morning. The coach on the on your Tuesday night didn't even know. Now, for the, sometimes there's a couple of names that come out of this French team that are a little bit out there. And Galtier says, yeah, well, mate, it's the coach of, of, his, of his club who actually recommended this to us. So it's the first time we hear that almost the clubs are like putting forward their best players. Mm. Who else better than these guys to, yeah, to tell you who is good, right? Mm. <laughs> it's the club coaches. And so it's the first time this has changed. And on top of that, I think Galtier and Ibanez really de decide to implement the strategy, like you said, uh, to, to reward. You can win or lose your position on the field, but never if you're injured, never if the press decides whatsoever, never, you know, if things that are in your hands. And a good example is, I can't even remember, lockdown number 29, when they had to pause Six Nations and they played the last round of, of Six Nations, what, five, six months later yes. or something like that? Yeah. They picked the same team. Yeah, I that was unheard of, do you think? Completely unheard of. Yeah, yeah. Completely yeah, unheard of. It would have never happened before. Mm -hmm. And I think there is a real sense of, of it, it, it impacts absolutely massively. I couldn't agree more with you. It impacts massively the psychology of the players. You tend maybe to take to be more risk taking, to feel that it's a bit more your team. Rather, every all the internationals will tell me, well, you don't feel like it's your team. Wait for a World Cup. World Cup, there's a given squad. You stay for three months together. Then we became a team. That's probably one of the reasons why the French would always turn it on during the World Cup, but would struggle before. Mm. And last thing before, because I, I know you're you're rushing off. Uh, thanks a million for for giving us your time. Uh, we we really appreciate hearing from you. Sean Edwards, and I'm sure you are sick of answering questions about him. Uh, what kind of impact do you think he's had on the team just generally? And, and you know, I, I, have you talked to any of the players? You know, what's their feeling on him? I obviously got coached by him for, for a couple of weeks um, and played against his teams for a lot of years, like you did, I'm sure, as well. Um, a formidable character. Uh, the feeling from the outside is that he's really added something to the coaching ticket and has had a huge impact. Uh, what's the talk from, from France on him? Uh, he's he's um, 
So in France, I don't know, just from the boys that I speak to, they're absolutely delighted with him. Um, he's, he's brought just an extra edge about it. And like I said, he's a renowned name in international rugby coaching, right? It's if, if tomorrow you ask anybody, uh, play, oh, who could you potentially go and get as a defensive uh, expert? Well, his name would definitely pop up within, you know, one or two. And that, that is unheard of. That's the first time this happens in France, which is not just who's the best in France, but potentially in the world. So I think the boys had a lot of respect for his pedigree. The boys had a lot of respect for a, a, an outside way of dealing things. I also think that France, we're strange animals, right? You need to take us on the right side. And I think he did it well. He moved to France. His, his French is shit, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but at least, at least he's, he's moved to France. He's trying really hard. And in France, you know, we, we put like 80% passion and 20% strategy in what we do in rugby. And he's got a lot of passion behind him. So that speaks, that appeals to those French players. So all the, um, all the, the, the feedback that I got from the boys is that he's great crack, um, super intense, super uh, how do you say that heart on his sleeve you know he doesn't hide anything he's pretty he's a straight shooter and that's what we love in france so i think uh, i think it was rafael ibanez who was very instrumental of getting him in because they were together in most connection yeah 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 the good old days and and that was that's a fair, great bit of 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 um of a great signing for france because he's been instrumental so hugely hugely respected hugely impactful down to his personality and his and his expertise well, just before we let you go, Benjamin, then maybe a prediction for this Saturday. I know you might try to get away with maybe not giving one, but I hope believe you can stay Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you won't. You won't push me that far. But I'll, um, my, I'll give a small win for France, obviously, because I want them to win. I hope they do. They will use and feed from the energy of 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 eighty five thousand crazy fanatic fans who can't wait for these games to come back. Things that's one of those elements that's making me so happy for this Six Nations. And we're finally going to see Six Nations with jam-packed stadiums. And I mean, God, it feels like it was forever ago that we could you could cherish those moments. Um, so I just want an unbelievable game. I know it's going to be... I, this game cannot disappoint. Whether you win, lose, whatever, it's going to be one cracking game. Um, and I see a 16-15 win for France. Oh, even a scoreline. Nice. <laughs> that would be an absolute cracker uh, Benjamin thanks so much for joining us I look forward to the game this weekend very welcome that's all we have time from the left wing this week we'll be back next week with another podcast reviewing all the action in Paris and in the meantime you can subscribe to us on Spotify Apple Podcasts or listen on independent.ie so until next time thanks for listening and goodbye <laughs>